Amen. You can be seated. Welcome in. Welcome in, students. On a great D-Now weekend. Uh, welcome in if you're here, whether you are visiting, this is your first time, or whether you are a regular attender, we are so glad to have you have chosen Lindsay Lane North as a place where you would worship today. And I pray that you've come to do just that. Man, we are excited how uh, God is, is working and God is moving throughout this weekend. Man, we've had salvations. We've had life change uh, through D-Now. Um, I was a host home, for goodness sake. I, I, I tell people all the time, right, like, like I've, I've been at every level of D-Now, right? I was a participant growing up through, uh, through high school, middle school and high school, Right, I was a uh, small group leader in college. I would, I was hired out to go and lead small groups, uh, and so I would go and lead students. I've been the youth pastor of D Now weekends, but I have never been a host home, and it was a baptism by fire because I had the middle school boys. I had fifth through eighth grade boys in my house, and it was an adventure, but it was a lot. Of fun, man. Turning your Bibles to John chapter thirteen, uh, we are beginning a new series entitled "Abide in Me." Uh, we are leaving the minor prophets and going to the Gospels, right? Going specifically to some of the last words that Jesus would ever teach his disciples before his death and resurrection. This is literally what we have, the words that we will read tonight and we will, today and we will continue to read throughout leading up to Easter was the last words that he would share literally the night that he was betrayed. Somewhere between the Last Supper in the upper room and the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus teaches his disciples very important truths. Because the truth that he preaches is not just important to them. See, the minor prophets, we have to sometimes do a little bit of of exegesis and we have to study a little harder in order to see the application for our lives. But what he tells the disciples is exactly the same command that God has called us to do some 2,000 years later. What it looks like to follow Christ, to abide in me, this message does not change and has not for centuries. And so what does it mean to be a follower of Christ? What does it mean to abide in him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, Lord, we just want to bathe this time in prayer. Spirit, we want you to move. We want you to destroy our preconceived notions of how we think things ought to go. And God, we pray that you would have your will and reign in our lives, in this place, in our hearts. And Lord, then we would leave and you would have your reign in this community in the places that we live. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May we see that happen today as we read and open your word. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. It is the human condition to resist change. There are very few people in the world that would say that they just for change. There's some weirdos out there. Uh, As a youth pastor, I have learned 
to be very flexible, not necessarily to look forward to change, but to probably be better suited for change. Okay, uh, it served us well as through this COVID season and all the things that we've had to do and flex and change uh, as a church and what church looks like. But people enjoy change. In fact, most people, if we were to poll the odds, most people would say that I function most effectively. I know exactly what is coming and there is no more deviation on one side or another, right? That I have a schedule. I have this thing that I do. I have this cadence in the morning that spills over into the day, that spills over into the afternoon, that hopefully finds itself at the end of the day and nothing has changed. Everything has gone to plan. Any of those people in here? So I thought, there's some, right? And so it's the human condition to resist change. But the truth of the matter is, we change all the time. Transition is a part of daily life. Think about the transition over time in age. An infant being solely dependent on others to provide for you. To then as a, you begin to start uh, exploring and experience a little bit of independence, you wander away from parents' For a little bit, right? Uh, we used to say what we wanted to do once we had kids and we had them young, uh, real young, like, hey, you're married a month and three days. Surprise, young. Um, we, we decided, okay, well, we want to have kids young. So when next kid, this was, our, this was our criteria. We will have kids when we can leave the first kid in a room alone and trust that they not die. Right? Like that was, that was it. So it was about three years old. So all of our kids are about three years apart. Like, hey, they, they're going to be okay left. Like, we're not leaving them forever, but like, we're like, hey, we can trust them to walk into a room and us not have to run in there and helicopter parent them. Right? And so that was what we looked to do. Right? And so as you grow older, right? Do y'all remember, remember the magical day that that jingling came from your parent's pocket as they tossed you? Right? And it didn't matter what type of car you had. It didn't matter that it was my grandma's old wheels, baby. I had turned 16 and I could get places. My independence had grown. Right? I remember in college, right, going through grade school, I still had to check going through high school. But I remember I had a newfound appreciation for independence when I went to college. Now, being on college campuses, they'd been in very limited right? Like every little kid growing up in a Baptist church, I'd been to Infuge and I'd been to World Changers and I'd campuses for a time, right, with my youth pastor, which was my dad, right, so that gives you an idea. And I'll never forget, my parents leave, okay, and I've got to fill this, you know, like foot by foot uh, refrigerator with groceries. And I'm like, well, I've got to do it, like all three things that go in here, I've got to go get. What do I do? And I remember going to my RA and saying, hey guys, uh, uh, I got to go to Walmart. Do I need to check out or anything? Dude, he looked at me like I had lost my mind. He's like, no, dummy. Just go, right? You're in college now, big boy. Welcome, right? And I just went. And it was crazy. I didn't have anything with anybody. But somewhere along the way, we transition again, don't we? Because I met this amazing, amazing young lady. And I asked her to be my wife. But you know... She had something against when I decided that I wanted to stay out as late as I wanted to do because that's what I had done 
for a long time, since college and, and going in through my seminary, being a single man, I could do whatever I want, go whenever I want. She had the audacity to be upset with me when one night I decided, well, I'm not going to come home right away. I'm going to go play tennis for a few hours and I'm going to let my wife and, and uh, you know, my pregnant wife chill at the house with her meal that she had prepared for us. And she had the audacity to be upset with me about that. Can you believe that? You see, what I didn't realize is I had transitioned. I'd given up a little bit of that. And then, y'all, kids. And you don't know lockdown until you got three kids in sports. Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. And then because every coach alive is a tryhard, they do it on Saturday too. Hey, y'all have been at practice today. There is a practice. We ain't going, but we could have been in a practice today. You don't know lockdown, right? Until you got kids. We give up a lot. And then... As we continue on, right? We we transition, right? There's 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 transition that is deaf until the point where if God tarries his coming and we continue and God prolonged, where we go back to being right where people were dependent on us again. We go through these transitions all the time. We transition life stages, we transition jobs, we transition schools, we we transition uh, all of these things. And most some, most of the time, transition even realizing it. You know, when I realized transition had happened, at about 5 a.m. this morning, when I woke up in my recliner, because I'd been chasing a bunch of middle school boys, I was working on my message and watching my front window, because I don't trust these kids as far as I can throw them, all right? Because of evident things that have happened in recent years, I've got an eye on the front window, and I'm, which apparently I didn't stave off an attack. Apparently, there's thousands of army men in my yard somewhere, but I, I haven't seen them, so I guess they're there. There's some of them over there that they put on my podium just to remind me, which I appreciate. And so, all of a sudden, I wake up, and it's 5 a.m., and the heater in the baptistry hasn't been turned on, so we get a really memorable experience in our baptismal service, right? Or things like this, have you ever sneezed and hurt yourself? That doesn't happen when you're young. But when you make transition in your life and age, you do things that really are normal, common things like pick up a pencil and sun your backs out, right? (laughs) Crazy things that happen. Transition is very much a part of our life. And what we are going to speak of over the next few weeks is perhaps the most important transition in church history. We can all get on the same page once we communicate clearly, which maybe that's the problem. Once we communicate clearly, everybody can get on the same page. Jesus with his disciples is getting everybody on the same page. They don't like the message that he's about to communicate, so they begin to ask questions, but he's getting everybody on the same page. John 13, beginning in verse 31. John 13, beginning in verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Only going to be with you a little while. You will seek me. Just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. For three years, 
What it looked like to be a disciple of Jesus is to be everywhere Jesus was. Where Jesus goes, I go. Where Jesus sleeps, I sleep. What Jesus eats, I eat. And now Jesus turns everything on its head. I am going somewhere. But shocker, plot twist, you cannot come where I'm going. And a series of questions are provoked from the disciples. Immediately, there is a dissonance between what Jesus says and what they think it means. At least they have experienced what it means to be a disciple of Jesus up until this point. And their questions show us where their mindset is. They show us the deficiencies in the thinking from an Old Testament mindset to now a New Testament picture. And the first one that chimes in in true fashion is, you guessed it, the Apostle Peter. Right? Because there is nobody that opens their mouth more than Peter. So obviously there is nobody that sticks their foot in their mouth more than Peter. I say the same thing about being a pastor. Someone that opens their mouth as much as I am is bound to stick their foot in it from time to time. All right? And y'all make fun of it and I'll laugh with you and that's cool. But right, that happens. Okay? And so Peter asks a question that shows a lack of humility. He has a problem with what Jesus says and he don't want it to pan out the way that Jesus said. Where I am going, you cannot come. And Peter says, no way, Jose. Look at verse 36 of chapter 13. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Why did he ask where you're going? Because he wants to come with him. Jesus answered him, Where I'm going, he didn't tell him where he's going. He just says, where I'm going, you cannot follow me. But you will follow afterward. This is an amazing idea of where you are now. This is important to the whole message. Where you are now, you cannot go where I'm going. You can't get to heaven the way you are now, Peter. So I am going ahead of you. And you will come later. Peter said to him, Not good enough. Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, will you? Will you lay down your life for me? Because truly before the sun rises, before the rooster crows, you will will not, uh, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. We know the story, don't we? You know why we know the story? We know the story because it's recorded. It's one of the very few events in Jesus' life that are recorded in all four Gospels. Every single Gospel account has a picture, has a telling of when Peter betrayed Jesus three times. And then after he cursed and said, Woman, I don't know the man. We know the story, right? His Failure is on display for all of history to see. All of history. Hearing the news that Jesus was going away caused a swelling in emotions for Peter. And because Peter was led by his emotions rather than fact, rather than what Jesus would actually tell him in getting his marching orders from Jesus, he had a problem with how Jesus was going to execute the next part of his plan. And so he thought he had a better idea. His emotions led him to a place of selfishness. Jesus, I don't like what you've told me, and I'd rather you just do it my way instead. This thing we got going, I like it. Let's keep 
a good thing a good thing. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? This is Peter's mindset. But Christ meets Peter's pride with reality. The reality is, Jesus knew that Peter could not meet the standard that was necessary in order to be a follower of Jesus. Why? Because Peter would never be perfect on his own power. He would never be. He'd always be saying things. He'd always be sticking his foot in his mouth. He'd always be cursing. He'd always, these are things that would happen. And because Peter could not be perfect, God doesn't lower his standard. He could not have access. That's why he said, Peter, where I'm going, you can't come yet. I've got to go first. But guess what? I'm coming back. Because he meets his pride with reality, right? I don't care who you are in this place. I don't care how holy you think you are or you don't think you are. There is nothing this side of glory that we can do to accomplish the work necessary to save ourselves from an eternal punishment for our sin. There's nothing that can be done. We will never reach the standard of perfection. So Christ had to go before. So Christ meets his pride with reality. Then he brings a message of restoration. He doesn't just leave him in the reality of, hey, guess what, big boy? You can't save yourself. Quit trying. You can't come. He doesn't say, I'm leaving you. I'm out of here. I'm ditching you losers. I'm done with you. He promises restoration. We read this passage of scripture in funerals. We read the the scripture that follows in times of brokenness. Why? Because it's hope. It's hope to us. John 4, 1 through 4. Let not your hearts be troubled. Peter, you're going to deny me three times. So much so, some hick from Lickskill at Alabama is going to sit in the church in Elkmont at a podium, and he's going to talk about your failure, and it's going to happen over and over and over and over again throughout history. But Peter, don't let your heart be troubled. You can't do it on your own. But if you believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many rooms. And if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. He's saying there's going to come a day when you will get to abide with me again. You've abided with me before. You will abide with me one day soon. But there is something in this intermediary state where you are going to have to understand. There's a transition, a painful transition maybe, that you are going to have to endure. If Jesus had said that Peter would fail, why would a message of heaven be a message of restoration? He knew that Peter would fail, and the answer is because he was going before. There is something that would transpire between Peter's current situation and his future situation that would enable him to access perfection. Something would happen. Why would the message of heaven Why would this be good news to someone that he has just told, you can't come where I am? 
Jesus is making a way. Jesus is preparing a way for him. Peter's not the only one that has questions. Thomas has questions as well. And so then Thomas chimes in in verse 5. Look at Thomas's lack of understanding. Peter lacked humility. Peter had a pride issue. Peter thought he could do it on his own and he could try real hard and God would give him credit. But Thomas had a complete and utter lack of understanding. Thomas was ignorant to what was happening. Listen to verse 5. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. They were getting frustrated at this point. God, you've said now we can't, Jesus, you said we can't come with you and we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, he gave them an explanation. So Christ meets his ignorance with an explanation. What does he say? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. He explains it. Let me tell you the way, Thomas. I am the way. Let me get you on the same page. I am the way. You can't make it to heaven. You can't make it to my father's house. You don't measure up. But I am the way. More than that, he's speaking, by the way, of reconciliation. You will always fail. So Christ has made a way for you to be reconciled before God. That's good news. It don't matter what we've done. The sum total of our sin or the sum total of our good deeds never measure up. So God brings restoration. Through the person of Jesus Christ. I am the way. Secondly, he gives him information, right? He gives him information. This speaks of illumination. He says, I am the truth. What is the truth? Well, Jesus tells us as he's praying in John 17, he says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. What is he saying? The way to pursue me is through the word, right? This is, he's illuminating the path. I am the way. Now, let me shed light on what I mean by that. I'm illuminating. I am the truth. I am the word made flesh, as John would say in John chapter 1. And so I am the way and I will give you the information you need if you will find your life in me. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. What he speaks of there is regeneration. The making new of your life. So Christ will not only reconcile us, he'll not only illuminate the path for us, but he will regenerate our hearts. The problem with Peter was the same problem with Thomas, which will be the same problem with Philip, which is the same problem with every disciple that would ever choose to follow Jesus on their own strength. They don't have the tools necessary to pull it off. And so we need new life. If anyone is in Christ, Paul told Corinth, he is a new creation. He's not done better. He's not fixed up. He's not given a polish or a spit shine. He is a new creation. The old is past. The old, the, the new has come. So he meets ignorance with explanation, but he doesn't leave it there. 
Because once he's explained how to get where he's going, once he's told him, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, he then responds with revelation. So Christ meets ignorance with explanation and then revelation. Notice who Christ reveals. Who does he reveal in verse 7? If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Paul would say later that Jesus is the exact representation of God, of the Father to us. So what is the role of Jesus in our life? He makes known the Father to us. He has purchased access to the Father for us. He is the revelation of the Father, of the big man upstairs, of the unapproachable God. He is the way to him. He's the revelation of Christ. He's not just an explanation of what to do and how to do it, but he is the revelation of God to man. So the Son reveals the Father. We'll talk next week. The Holy Spirit's role. What does the Holy Spirit do? The Holy Spirit reveals the Son. We gain access by grace through faith through the work of the Holy Spirit to respond to the work of Christ who has revealed God the Father to us. This is salvation. He's explaining it, but we got to get on the same page. So let's start with Jesus. Let's start with me. Understand who I am. And it is amazing that you have been with me for three stinking years and you still don't get it, guys. Peter had a humility problem. Thomas had an understanding problem. Philip, he had a faith problem. Philip's question reveals a lack of faith. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Philip fell into the same trap the Sadducees and the Pharisees did. What would the Sadducees and Pharisees, what did Jesus say? You're always looking for a sign. You're telling me do something else to prove to me that you're the Son of God. And Jesus said, I'm done with that. You must have faith in me. He said, show us the Father and it is enough for us. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long? And you still do not know me, Philip. I believe the condition of the American church is there's a lot of people that have been with and around Jesus things for a long time that have no idea who Jesus is. Now, they have a head knowledge but it has never invaded their heart. It has never, and how do we know it invades a heart? Because it starts affecting our hands and our feet. Because it's things that we just can't, we just can't help but to do. As uh, Dusty, Pastor Dusty at Lindsay Lane would say, and he said, it's, Jesus changes our want to. He changes our desires. And I can't explain that, but I know it's true in me. And so if Jesus hasn't changed your desires, then guess what? He hasn't changed your heart. And if he hasn't changed your heart, guess what? He's not your way, your truth, and your life. Because there is no way to the Father but through him. If you want to see the Father revealed, God revealed in your life, it will come through the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And so he tells him, have you been with me so long? It's not enough, guys. The Christian life, you don't get a participation trophy just for showing up. Coming to church is not going to get you into heaven. 
Coming to a small group is not going to gain you access to the presence of God. It comes through the abiding presence of his Holy Spirit that can only come through one way. And if you're here, we can know a lot about church. We can know a lot about what's going on. But if we don't have a heart knowledge of who God is, students, if he hasn't changed you, rest assured he hasn't saved you. Because where the Spirit of God is, there's a difference. There's a difference in our life. Jesus purchased. Let us not spit on the value, on what Christ has done, what he has sacrificed, what he has laid down, what the Father has given for us. Right? And so this is what he's saying, right? He's saying, have you been with me so long that you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his work. Bingo, right there. There's there's, there's the hint. The Father that dwells in me. They never knew that. They've never experienced that. The Holy Spirit hasn't come. Right? The Holy Spirit hasn't invaded and abided in them. So Jesus, the Father, is abiding in the Son, but these guys don't understand it. These guys have not experienced that. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. He ties a bow on it. Where are you going? Peter asked it at the beginning, where are you going? I am going to the Father. This is the only hope of mankind was for a man to gain access to the throne room of God. And it could not happen by, from any other man than for a spotless, perfect lamb to be provided. And so Jesus won us access because he went before to the Father. He's saying, I am going to the Father, Peter, Philip, Thomas, to make a way for you so that if you will pursue me, you won't find life abiding with me. You will find it abiding in me through the work of the Holy Spirit, which he's getting to. And then what does he say? Christ meets doubt with proof. Listen, if you don't believe me, look at the works that I've done. I've proven who I am. You've seen me raise the dead. You've seen me heal the leper. You've seen me cause the lame to walk. You've seen me do these things. Uh, John the Baptist would ask him the same question. He'd say, hey, are you the one or am I looking? Should I look for somebody else? Because I'm here in prison. I'm about to get my head chopped off. Like, I saw this going, panning out a little differently for me. Let me make sure you're the Messiah. And what does Jesus say? He says, here's the proof. He said, lives are being restored, 
right? That's basically what he responds with. And, and blessed is the one who does not fall away on account of me. And so he provides proof to the doubt. Isn't it amazing? God isn't offended by our questions. God, in his grace and his mercy, if we will pursue him, he will provide answers to our doubt. He'll provide proof. He's reminding his disciples of this who yet still don't understand what it's like to have the abiding presence of God in their life. He is explaining to them so they're all on the same page. So when it happens, they move. That's why what happens in Acts chapter 2 is so powerful is because everybody knew it was coming. Everyone knew. But Christ doesn't just meet doubt with proof. Finally, he meets it with provision. He says, greater works do do you than these, right? So what he means by that is not necessarily greater in extent, right? We'll be raising three people from the dead. What he means is you will do works, and the reason why it's greater is it's greater in number, right? Because there's more of God's presence in the world, right? It's not just isolated to one one being, right? Jesus in flesh, now Christ will be distributed to all people and his presence will cover the earth as water is to the seas. By the way, that's prophecy, right? That God's presence will go wherever his people are. And so what he's saying is greater works do in these. Why? Because I am going to the Father and he begins a transition to speaking of the Holy Spirit. Because when I go to the Father, I will not leave you as an orphan. I will not leave you I will not forsake you. In fact, we'll learn it's to our advantage that he goes. Because the Holy Spirit will then give us access to the finished work and reconciliation purchased by Christ and reveal the Father to us. So this is salvation. Christ meets doubt with proof and then provision. He provides, guys, I know you don't understand it yet, but I want you to be on the same page because this is happening. I'm going before you, and I am making a way for you. I am going to the Father. I will send the Holy Spirit, and one day I'm coming back. Church, that's the same message today. That message hadn't changed. Jesus has gone before. He's made a way through your sin and through my sin. Not through our individual work, not as Peter would have wanted, but through his substitute. He he lived the life you couldn't live. He died a death that you deserved. And then he proved who he was when he rose from the dead, gaining you victory in Christ. No longer do we have to be dead in our transgressions and sin. Students, we learned about what it means to be truly free. God has set us free from the penalty of our sin. God the Father is revealed to us through the person of Jesus Christ. And so if you're here today and you don't have that relationship with Christ, I want to encourage you to respond to that. Respond to the revelation of God through Jesus Christ. Let's get on the same page, church. Let's respond not by our works. Let's respond in faith to what Christ has called us to accomplish. And so with every head bow and eye closed, we're going to have a time of invitation, a time of response, a time where you can align yourself with what God has revealed through his word.
So the band is making their way up. You have an opportunity to respond today to this invitation. Listen, if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if he has never changed who you are, that provision is not effective for your life. In the current state you're in, the wrath of God is still on you because of your sin. Oh, you may think you're a good person, but you're not perfect. And that's the problem. And so Christ has made a way for you. He's purchased perfection for you. If you would just call on his name to be saved. If you would call on in the name of Jesus, you can be saved. I know that there's a person, in, there's at least one in this room that doesn't have a relationship with Christ. If you're here and you need to respond, don't let this moment slip by without doing just that. Christ has called you into a relationship. Why did he tell his disciple these things, these disciples these things? Because he cared for them. He wants them, he wanted them to be encouraged. He hasn't left us. He's given us a way, but it only comes through the way, the truth, and the life of Jesus. We respond to that message today. If you're here and you need to surrender your life to the Lordship of Christ, I pray that you would do that. In fact, if you're here, I'd love to help you with that. If you're here and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm I'm just going to lead us in a prayer right now, a prayer where you can just decide right now that you are going to surrender to Him. You're going to give your life to Him. There's nothing magical about the prayer. It is just simply proclaiming the truth that we know in Jesus. And so if that's you and you need to respond today, I pray that you would pray this prayer, maybe in the quietness of your own heart, just repeat these words. Repeat this prayer after me. Pray something like, Dear Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that you sent your son to be the sacrifice for my sin. Jesus said you lived a sinless life, that you died on the cross, taking my punishment for sin. And as you rose to new life, so can I. Jesus, I pray that you would come into my life. I freely make you the Lord and the Savior of my life. Now give me boldness to share what you've done in my life with others. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. With heads and hearts still bowed, if you prayed that prayer today, would you just cut your eyes up to me? Nobody looking around. But if you prayed that prayer today for the very first time, you accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, would you just look up at me? This is just between me and you. Nobody, nobody's around. Nobody has to know right now. Would you just look at me? What Christ has done in your heart is he has radically changed and transformed your life. And the enemy would give every reason in the world for you not to let somebody know about that decision. 
not to know about the transformation that he's brought about. But God has called you to be obedient to him. That means he's called you to let somebody know about the decision that you've made. And so in just a moment, when I say amen, we're going to have an opportunity to respond. We're going to sing a song. It's going to be great. But if you're here and you need a relationship with Christ, would you take that opportunity to find the center aisle, to come find me here at the front? We've got people that would love to talk to you about your new life in Christ, to give you encouragement, to help you walk out a life of obedience, abiding in Christ. I would ask you to do that. I'm not going to come to you. I'm not going to embarrass you, but I pray that you would respond. And any of us, maybe we know we have a relationship with Christ, but we know we need to respond to him. I pray that you would do that today. Realign your heart with his. Let's all get on the same page. Father, we love you and we praise you. Lord, thank you for the eyes of those that I've seen that have passed from death to life. God, give them boldness to respond in obedience to you. God, we thank you for what you have purchased for us. We love you and we praise you. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet as we...